right. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for everybody coming to Gospel Saving Church this morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. It's a glorious day, is it not? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, bringing us here and allowing us to sit under the Word of God, because that's what it's all about. It's about the Word of God. We don't want to. We're all here listening because we're either seeking the Lord or we're, you know, we're listening to grow more in the Lord or whatever. But we're all here for for Jesus. We are all different people, and uh, chances are we would not be here together. Uh, a like-minded like this because we all come from different backgrounds and we have different histories and we have different pasts and things like that and we'd all, maybe none of us might be here together if it weren't for one thing and that's one common goal and that's Jesus. So thanks be to God. Uh, this is a Sunday message of 12-30-2012 and today's message is going to be entitled The Beatitudes Part 1. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 today, and we're going to read uh, verses 3 through 12 after we pray. So we're going to get ready for our service here. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless this word and bless our hearts and get our hearts ready to hear the word. Whew, thank you, Jesus, for bringing us here. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your word today, and thank you so much for the Beatitudes. Lord, and all that we're going to learn about them, Lord God, and just some awesome things that you showed me even getting ready for this message, Lord. Lord, I pray for all of our hearts today, Lord, whoever will listen to this message ever, since I know, Lord God, we're going to be having podcasts pretty soon, Lord, official podcasts, Lord, and we're going to, we're already on the internet, Lord, with our website, Lord. I just pray you bless us all here and bless all those that will be listening uh, via the internet and the web. And uh, Lord, I pray your word would penetrate our hearts today. And I pray you'd speak to each one of us. And I pray, Lord God, that your living word would just teach us and mold us and shape us and form us just like you want us to be. And Lord, all the things that, Lord, that we need to change or get better at or not, or even just me, do more, anything you want us to do more for you, Lord God, I pray you'd speak it through your word and and that, Lord, your Holy Spirit would just be here and just powerful and opening our eyes and breaking our hearts for the truth and for Christ more and more and more and the reality of Christ more and more each and every day. May you be glorified in this place, Lord, as we read your word and as we study your word today. Please keep the distractions down, keep the distractions out, and help us all to hear, Lord, your words, and not only hear, but do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. So if you want to open up to Matthew chapter 5, as I said earlier, we're going to read the Beatitudes 3 through 12. All right, so let's read. We already read Matthew 1, or 5, 1 and 2 last week, but we'll see it. We'll read them again just to keep it in proper context to see what's going on. In verse 1, And seeing the multitudes, Jesus went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. And so then he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. 
Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sakes, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now I had plans to teach all nine Beatitudes today. That was my heart and desire. I had it on my heart. I was going to go full blast. After last week's heart-preparing message, I had a full-blasted prepared to teach all nine, because there's nine Beatitudes. Nine different blessed hours. But God had other plans. So we're going to have to stick with God's plan today, since my plan's not going to work, because I'm just a man. So I'm only going to talk about a couple interesting, little, awesome tidbits that God gave me about the Beatitudes as a whole. But for today, we're only going to focus on just verse 3. So, overall, the Beatitudes, defined as... Now, remember this definition. It's going to really become in, in, into play for us as we keep going through our sermon today. The definition of the Beatitudes is extreme blessedness or happiness. Extreme blessedness or happiness it says extreme for a reason we'll get to it later but just remember that extreme blessedness or happiness well two weeks ago I talked about what kind of things that Jesus taught people because in Matthew as a whole we you know we learned in four um, that uh, Jesus came and he was going through Galilee the regions of Galilee and he was teaching and doing all kinds of you know, healings and teachings and all this, that, and the other thing. But we really didn't hear, other than repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, from him and John the Baptist, we really didn't get anything else that he was teaching. Well, the Beatitudes starts a section where he really gets in-depth with what he go, what he was teaching, but we, we got it here in, in full and in-depth. But that's kind of like, so we talked about what he taught, and I had said he not only taught people about heaven, but he also taught people how to get to heaven. So, here it is. If you want to know how Jesus said to get to heaven and be extremely blessed and happy in your soul today, here he tells us, so really pay close attention. Here's some interesting things about the Beatitudes. Two out of the nine are, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now that's almost 25%. Of all the nine Beatitudes were, for theirs are the kingdom of heaven. Remember what I said, he teaches people how to get to heaven. So the Greek word for blessed is makarios. And it's defined as blessed or happy. Now remember that Beatitude definition? Extreme blessedness or happiness. Well that's why this whole section is called the Beatitudes is because blessed are. Blessed are. Blessed are. Nine times. Blessed are. Let's read them very slowly again. And this one was, was boy, it hit me upside the head like a brick. Go to three. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Four. Blessed are those who mourn. 
Blessed are the meek. Verse seven or verse six. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Whew. And blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. When I hear people talk about blessings today, oh, blessed be God, what man, the Lord has blessed me. I got a great house and mm-hmm. I got a great car and I, man, the Lord has given me a good job and, and, oh, wait a minute. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Huh? I don't see in Jesus' beatitudes, blessed are those who make a lot of money or Blessed are those who have a good job or a nice car or a nice thing. In fact, Jesus kind of thought, taught the opposite of what people say today are blessed are. Because he didn't teach blessed are those who have a lot of money and blessed are those who have a lot of nice things. And But now those are great things and those are awesome things. I'm not discounting or downplaying those things that God you know, had, allows, to have, allows people to have. But realistically... If you look at those blessings, those blessings are for mankind on the face of the planet. God gives man the breath to live. That's a blessing. God gives man the ability to have a house or a car or coffee or Pepsi or those those blessings. People don't get in hell. You don't get fresh air to breathe in hell. You don't get a nice car to drive or air-conditioning houses in the summer or, or a heated house in the winter. You don't get any of those things in hell. So all these blessings that people look at are blessings are, are worldly things. Those are all blessings that everybody in humanity gets to have. But for Jesus here, God looks at the blessings that he gives people as a little bit different, a lot different, in complete reverse. These are what I just spoke about. Blessings are a nice car. Or a nice house. These are blessings of humanity. These are blessings of especially Americans. American people get really caught up on, oh, God's blessed me. I got this and I got that and I got this. And, I got and all their blessing is, is their worth of their blessing is how big the blessing is, how nice of a car they have or how big of a house they have. And, you know, people that are on the lower spectrum, uh, you know, on, in the poor societies, they still may have a roof over their head and, and things like that, and of that matter. And that those are still blessings, but in our society, they're not considered as real blessings. Only if you have a really, really big house, you know, those are well. That's the beatitude of man having all those nice things. In God's eyes, you see these here, these nine beatitudes, they're spiritual blessings for us and eternal blessings for us when we die. And it's no wonder Jesus said in Matthew 6.20, Store up your treasures in heaven, where moth and rust and thief cannot come in, or steal, or take away, or be destroyed. Matthew 6.20. Jesus encouraged us not to store our treasures up here on earth, because the Bible, the New Testament especially, speaks about the things that you have here now, you can't take them with you. They're all going to go away. You can't... When you die, that's it. They're gone. But 
Jesus said, basically here, if you want to be extremely happy or joyful in your spirit now and have eternal life, I operate on a whole different system. And it ain't because I gave you a nice new car because I gave you a nice new couch or a nice new home or apartment. Those are not God's Beatitudes. Because what's not written here, but we know that the Bible tells us that Jesus came and took our sin in himself. He died and rose again to conquer death, and in doing so, made a way for us to be able to have, one, and two, a relationship and a blessed happiness with God our Father now, and eternal life plus all these blessings that God spoke here in these nine Beatitudes. We can have them now. And those are for us now and for eternity. Okay? Because of what God did for us. Not because we work at a great job or we make a lot of money. God has a totally different definition of blessed. Here in the first beatitude, it's blessed are the people. Now let's read it again. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So in our vernacular today, and I actually looked this up and I'll give an explanation here in a minute, but Blessed are those that are spiritually broken. They're broke spiritually. You say, what? Well, the meaning of poor in spirit is literally to be dead broke, spiritually speaking. The Greek word is tokos. And the definition of poor here is, listen real carefully, and this is according to a Bible concordance. It's not... Ed's definition or anything like that, but the definition of poor, he says here, blessed are the poor in spirit. One, reduced to beggary, begging, asking alms. Asking alms was like a poor man that couldn't walk and he would sit outside the temple and because he couldn't afford to live, he was basically a, a modern day bum that would stand outside of a 7-Eleven and ask for money. Okay, that's your asking alms. Definition two, destitute of wealth. Influence, position, or honor. That's the word definition of poor. Lowly, afflicted, destitute of the Christian values and eternal riches. Helpless, powerless to accomplish an end. Poor and needy. So Jesus wasn't just saying this. It wasn't like blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, that's, that's a good thing. That is a good thing in God's eyes. But we are like, you want me to be broke spiritually? Huh? I don't understand. What's, what's going on? Well, poor in this broke state is the exact opposite of one other type of way of life. And that's pride. There's poor or there's pride. Pride is when you exalt yourself and consider yourself rich spiritually. Uh, pride is look at me I can do it myself look at how look at how important I am or wow look God look at how special I am well that's pride well let's look at what God thinks of pride or spiritual riches Proverbs 8 13 8 13 the fear of the Lord is to hate evil one pride second and arrogance, third, and the evil way, fourth, and the perverse mouth. So he, he just listed off five things that God hates. That the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance, the evil way, and the perverse mouth. 
Proverbs 16.18, uh, pride goes before destruction. And a haughty or lifted up spirit, I'm spiritually, look at me God, oh look I'm so special. And a haughty spirit goes before a fall. So Jesus had a confrontation with some religious leaders in Mark chapter 7. And if you want to turn there, Mark chapter 7, we're going to study 23 verses. And we're going to study out this little conversation that Jesus had with these Pharisees because the Pharisees and religious leaders were very prideful. They were very, very spiritually haughty. So we're going to look at what Jesus' little conversation that he had with them. So it's Mark 7, verses 1 through 23. It's a big section of scripture, but I want you to see the heart. Because God looks at the heart. And what kind of haughty heart, or what kind of prideful heart did these people have? And then what we can see is, we'll look at how Jesus, what Jesus said about them. And then what we can focus on is how not to be like them. Because that's, that's important here. So Mark chapter 7 Verses 1 through 23. Let's see what God considers to be sin. And the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to Jesus, or him, to Jesus, having come from Jerusalem. Now when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, unwashed hands, they found fault. So his, his disciples and Jesus were hanging out together, and the disciples were like eating some food, but they were just like grabbing food off the, off the, you know, the, the, uh, the wheat and all that, and they were just kind of eating, just taking it off and eating it. And they looked at this and they thought, "That's he's they're eating, they didn't even wash their hands. Oh. For, verse 3, For the Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they washed their hands in a special way. Ooh, special way. We have a special way now. Holding the tradition of the elders. When they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, meaning in teaching, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. So then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, verse 5, saying, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? So notice it wasn't, Why don't your disciples eat the ways that God told them to eat? Uh-uh. Notice it was, why don't your disciples eat the way our elders, the mankind, told them how to eat? So Jesus answered in verse 6, Well did Isaiah prophecy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts is far from me. In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines, commandments of men. So they were holding up the teachings of men, as things that came from God. And Jesus just said that's wrong. Because they're just doctrines of men. Commandments of men. Verse 8. For laying aside the commandment of God. You hold the tradition of men. The washing of pitchers and cups. And many other such things that you do. Verse 9. And he said to them. All too well you reject the commandment of God. That you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, If a man says to his father or mother, What father or mother, what profit, uh, whatever profit you might have received from me is Corbin, that is a gift to God. So basically, uh, a kid is supposed to make sure their parents 
is taken care of. They're supposed to, it's family. Okay? But these people were saying, and, and God said, if you don't honor your father and mother, it's terrible. If you don't honor your father and your mother. But these religious people were saying, oh, well, you could just tell your mom and dad, hey, that's Corbin. I, I know I'm supposed to help you out, but you know what I'm giving you, what I'm supposed to give to you, that, that I'm giving that to God instead. So look at the heart. Whew. Verse 12, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother, making the word of God of no effect. Through your tradition, which you have been handed down, and many other such things you do. And when he had called all the multitude to himself, he said to them, and this is the multitude of his disciples, by the way, because he had a multitude of disciples at this time. Hear me, everyone, and understand, there is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him. But the things which come out of him, these are the things that defile a man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And so Jesus always ended his statements with that. And so he called, multitude, he called the disciples multitudes of himself. And he said, there's nothing that goes into a man meaning food. Because we'll see here he means food, verses through 17 and 23. But I'm just stopping here to make a point. Jesus talked about food. You can't eat anything, pork, hamburger, chicken, whatever, vegetables, that's going to make you dirty to God. That's not God's focus. You can't eat anything that's going to make you dirty spiritually or sinning. And I can't do anything that's going to eat where you're going to sin. So verse 17. So now he is his like close disciples come to him. And when he entered a house away from the crowd, his disciples or close disciples, this probably his 12, asked him concerning the parable. So again, they didn't understand. But like we talked about last week, they're the seekers. They came for more of an understanding. It's like we talked about last week. So he said to them, are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside can, cannot defile him? Because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach. And it's eliminated, thus purifying all foods. Notice what I said about foods. And he said, what comes out of a man, that defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of men... Now listen to what I'm going to tell you now. This is what Jesus considers sin. Out of the heart of man proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, and evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. So what defiles or makes people sin? What is it? The normal things you would have already guessed. Go back to verse 21. For within, out of the heart, Evil thoughts. Well, that's something that causes people to sin. Evil thoughts. If you are going to think evil thoughts, you're sinning. If you're going to do it willfully and purposely, you're sinning. Adulteries. So looking at women with lust in your heart and so on and so forth. Committing adultery. Committing uh, basically uh, well, well, fornication, which is having sex outside of marriage. Adultery would be being, even being married or even looking at another woman and having lustful thoughts about her murderers, all these things, you know, we know thefts, yeah, we steal, okay, that's that's evil, that's sin, covetousness, oh, I got to have it, oh, I got to have it, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, you know, using God's name in vain, pride, foolishness. Now, all those other things, I, I can understand that, oh, absolutely, evil eye, yeah, adultery, yeah, fornication. Oh, yeah, all those things are sinful. Yes, all those things God says, eh, don't do. Did you ever imagine pride was in there? 
God considers pride as sinful as adultery, as fornication, as lewdness, as murdering, as thieving, as covetousness, as wickedness. Wow! Pride! Is there any wonder why Jesus said in verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall... For they, for there shall be the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because look what he just said. Pride is foolish. And I can say, how could pride cause me to sin? But in reality, and we'll get there, we'll look at it. Pride will keep someone from going to heaven. And really being truly happy in their lives now. That's right. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction. That's destruction now. And for eternity. Now you see why God hates pride so much. 8.13. The fear of the Lord is to hate what? Oh yeah, one of those things was pride. Pride, believe it or not, keeps God from saving people. Pride blinds people. A prideful person doesn't think that they're spiritually broken and you need to repair. I'm good. Uh, you know, I'm a street evangelist. You guys know that. I've been going on the streets for years. 12, 13 years I've been preaching people on Christ, uh, Christ on the streets. And you know one thing I hear, one of the most common answers? No, man, I'm good. Oh, yeah, yeah, me and Jesus are good. I'm good. I'm good. Well, Jesus said pride. And Jesus said, no man's good. Only God is good. How can you be good when only God is good? That's pride. But notice their response. Oh, yeah, I'm all right. I'm good. Because they're being prideful. They don't think they need no help. I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. Pride. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fallen short of the, of the glory of God. So what does that mean for us and what we say now? God sees all people as spiritually in need of repair. The problem is people here don't think that the people in the world, especially in America, don't see that they're broken and in need of repair. And that's where the pride comes in. And if you think I'm good, you have no reason to go get fixed. Mm. That's pride. Mm. Mm. That's why Christ said to come and give his life on the cross to pay for our sins. In other words, God saw that we could not save ourselves and he needed to fix that. He wants to save people from their sins. So go with me over to Luke 18. Luke 18. And I'll give you the location once you get there. Luke 18. And we're going to look at another uh, place where Jesus looks at pride versus poor spirit. We're actually going to get two prime examples today. One on both sides of our discussion today. We're going to get one fella that embodies pride, and we're going to get one fellow that embodies spiritual brokenness. So Luke 18. And go down to verse 9. I'm going to read 9 through 14. We're going to chronicle these two people. Luke 18. I'm going to read. Also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And despised others. So that's another thing that pride does. Look at me. I'm I'm so good. I'm so holy. No. 
those sinners over there. Hmm. Verse 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray. Notice both men went up to the temple. Notice both men went to the temple to pray. So both men were going to a spiritual place, like we would go to a church, to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, Pharisees, a Pharisee was a religious leader. They were literally looked upon as the most holy people of their day. Tax collectors, on the other hand, a little backdrop of a tax collector, Rome enlisted tax collectors to gain tax for Rome. Well, how that worked is, let's say, I'll just use our modern day, let's say Rome said, we want you to get $1 a week from every person in the city or in your district. Well, they didn't pay the tax collectors. How the tax collectors got paid was whatever above the amount of the amount that Rome wanted was their pay. And Rome didn't warrant that. They didn't say, well, you can't charge. What They said, we want our dollar. Whatever you get, give us our dollar. You got to get us our dollar. So if they charged $5, $4 went to them. And the people of the land knew that the government only wanted $1. But if they didn't pay the tax collector their amount, say $5, the tax collector then had the right to go get the to tell the you know the judge or tell the city and then they would go and break that person down so that person would either have to pay or go to jail they had no choice so whatever amount they got so the people knew the amount the tax collector was supposed to get and whatever about above the tax collector got it was for him and they knew if they were being dishonest or not so tax collectors were like uh, were like politicians today mm-hmm. the most practically the most unholy lying thieving ravenous wolves of their day verse eleven. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven but beat his breast on his knees, I can imagine him, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself, pride, will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now notice... Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. That's not talking about now. Because this Pharisee, when he walks through the marketplace, when he walks into the into the grocery store, wherever he goes, people stand back and they go, Oh, he's a holy guy. So he's being exalted now. But when he dies, well, I mean, let Jesus speak to you himself. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. The man who couldn't even look up to heaven and cried out to God for mercy. God, please have mercy on me for I'm a sinner. While he's beating his chest, he who humbles himself will be exalted. Well, we're exalted before God when we have that type of attitude. So the one person is not exalted before God when they have a prideful, look at me how holy I am rather than that guy over there because I do this and that and this and the other thing. 
And the other guy, oh, Lord God, help me. I'm such a sinner. God sees him as, I forgive that one. Amazing. So, as we look at our verse today, I totally see why God says in 2 Peter 3, 9, that God is not that God is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And what we can translate that to in our modern English, especially what our topic today is, our first beatitude. God desires us to stop being prideful and see that we are totally broke spiritually and in need of repair. And of course, when someone sees this, the natural thing that should happen is that they should totally turn to Christ in repentance with all their lives and hearts and cry out to God and totally surrender themselves to Jesus. Do you think it's a coincidence that Jesus taught this very first beatitude? (laughs) Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do you think it's a coincidence that that was his first one? We'll look at that in a minute. Outside of repentance, outside of poor in spirit, brokenness, coming to God, surrendered to God. There is no relationship or eternal life with God unless a person first comes to the end of themselves and realizes that they can't save themselves and they turn their hearts to be like the man we read about in Luke 18. Jesus said that a broken man, he went down to his house justified. Justification only comes after we repent of our sins and cry out to God because we see that we're broken. So justification only comes after we see that we're broke and we're in need of repair and we come and fall down at the cross and say, God, I need you. Please forgive me. I'm a mercy. Have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. And we cry out to God and we come to the end of ourselves. No wonder why God says in Revelation 3.18, I counsel you to buy from me. God's speaking of himself now. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. That you may be rich. How come he didn't say, I expect you to be rich on your own? Hmm. Nope. I counsel you to come to me and buy gold from me, refined in fire, that you may be rich. Obviously, we're not talking about rich in the flesh. We're talking about rich in the spirit. Hmm. And white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. So how does God see us? We're poor, we're broke. Look here, 318. That you may be rich, which means that God sees that we're poor, spiritually, we're broke. And come and buy white garments from me. The white garments would be like your purification. Why? Because God sees that we're naked and we're shameful in the flesh. So we need to come to him and buy those things. There are so many today, especially in America, that have a belief in Jesus, but have never realized they are broken and can't save themselves. They claim to be a Christian, but have never come to God and bought his gold and his garments, like in Revelation 3.18. So many today. I'm alright. God loves me. I'm okay. But they've never come to the end of ourselves. But back to us right now. Lastly, for us all, wherever we're at, believe it or not, we start and we end. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let me explain. Our our relationship starts when we realize we're broke and we come to God and we fall down and we surrender. 
realizing that we're broken, we cry out like that guy in Luke 18, and we start a relationship there. But our relationship continues with that, and our relationship ends with that. In Isaiah 66, 2, God says, But on this one I will look. So who is God looking at today? Who is God focused on today? And I want to mind you now, this was written 800 years before Christ lived. Six to 800 years before Christ lived. Isaiah was a prophet, a man of God, that heard the words of God and spoke the words of God. And this was Isaiah 66 to, 6 to 800 years before Christ lived. I want you to listen to what he says and tell me if it sounds like anything you've ever heard of, especially we've been talking about today. But on this one I will look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit. And who trembles at my word? Six to eight hundred years, God wrote that down before Christ lived. Do you remember? Did that sound like something that we just read today? Oh, yeah. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. On this one I will look. On him who was of a poor and of a contrite spirit. That's blessed are those that are poor in spirit. And who trembles at my word. And God looks at who, who is trying to keep his word. Isaiah 6.6.2 By the way, again, this is exactly what Jesus talked on today as the very first beatitude. You see that the Bible says that our righteousness is only in Christ and not in ourselves. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, God says through Paul, For he, God, made him who knew no sin, be Jesus, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So does God see us as righteous in and of ourselves? Does he see us as spiritually rich and proud? And Absolutely not, or else Christ didn't have to come and become the righteousness of God, that those in him might get that righteousness, in a sense, this is what this is saying. If Christ wouldn't have done what he did and died on the cross the way he did and paid for your sin and my sin, we would not have any ability to be righteous before God at all. And even in that, we are not righteous in God of ourselves, not one iota. For he, God, made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Woo. So we see that only in Christ that we're righteous. And only when we come to be poor and broken in spirit, when we come to that repentance, realizing that we're broken, and we come and we truly realize I'm broken, I need to be fixed, Can we have a relationship with God now? And blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are, extremely blessed. Remember that definition? Extremely blessed. Only can we, at that point, can we become extremely blessed, happy, joyful in your spirit. Are you there today? Are you there today? If you're like, if you are there, 
then we must stay there. We must not ever get outside of that, I'm broke before God, and He's got to fix me every day. And walk in that poor and contrite spirit, fearing God's word, having a holy, reverent fear, like Isaiah 66 too. But on this one I will look, on him who is of a poor and contrite spirit, and who trembles at my word. I don't know about you, but I want God looking my way. And not for judgment. I want God looking my way because I want him to see that's mine. And I want to be blessed. I want to be spiritually happy now. I want to have. I want to inherit heaven later. I want to have a joyful relationship with Christ now. I want God to look on me. Isaiah 66, 2. Are you not there? Are you not walking in a poor and contrite spirit, trembling at the word of God. Are you a holier-than-thou person? Because if you are, we already read things, pride goes before destruction. Examine your life. If you're not there and you realize that you're not there, fall down on your knees like that guy in Luke 18 and truly repent, truly cry out to God, truly beat on your breast and say, God, have mercy on me, for I am a sinner. Because it's only that one that went down to his house justified, not the prideful. It is only this type of person that Jesus said in verse 3 here, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In our text today, that will enter the kingdom of heaven and live a happy and joyful lives and live a happy and joyful life now. It's only that person. Are you miserable? Are you happy and joyful? Because yes. you, if you're happy and joyful outside of Christ, that's a deception. Mm -hmm. If you're happy and joyful in Christ because you are surrendered, because you are like that man in Luke 18, then you're right on. Wherever you're at, stay there if you are and get there if you're not because mm -hmm. life and death we are in such a temporal world. I was just talking with my son just the other day about how temporal all the things in this world are. Mm. You look around at your house and you look around at your, your hand and your skin and your legs and your shirts and your pants and your cars. And if you look into those things, will you have them in a hundred years? Mm. Now, unless you're listening to this and you're like, two years old, you're not going to have the things that you have now when you're 100 years or 100 years from now. I'm 38. I won't be alive when I'm 138. If you're 25 or 32 or 65 or 45, you won't be alive in 100 years, but the earth might be. You'll be gone from this tent in a hundred years. That's if you're really, 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 really blessed and you're really, really healthy and you even could even live 20 more years. Could die tomorrow. Could die tonight. And all the things that you have around you now that you can look at and see right now, your walls, your ceiling, your floors, your Bible, your Christmas tree that we still have up, whatever you see that you have, 
all those things will all still be here while you won't be. So what are we living for today? Because if it's the things that won't, we won't be here to have in a hundred years, think of how shallow a life that that really is. Can't take a car with you. Can't take a ring. Can't take your flesh. Can't take your house. All stays here. You'll be gone. And the Bible says that death you're judged. You stand before God, and God either says, Well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord if you served me, or be gone from me. I never knew you, you who practiced lawlessness, you who were prideful, you who thought you didn't need to be fixed. Cry out to God now if you're not right. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this word today. Thank you so much, dear God, for your love. Thank you so much for your warning to us, Lord God, that if we're prideful, you can't save us until we're broke, until we realize we're broke. We're all broken, Lord, but help us to realize we're broke so that we can come to you and cry out like that man in Luke 18. Have mercy on me, O God, for I'm a sinner. Because we are all sinners, Romans 8.23, Lord God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all broken. I just pray, God in heaven, that everybody out there that's broken right now, that doesn't know it, that their eyes would be opened, that, that they'd realize that they're broken, and that they realize that, that they're being prideful if they think that they're not. If they think they're good, or I'm good enough, or whatever, Lord God, I pray you break their hearts and show them that they are sinners. For your word is not a lie, and when your word says, for all have sinned, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, then that means we're all in need of repair. I pray we'd all cry out to you right now. Say, God, I need you. Jesus, please save me from who I am. I just want to be, I just want to be righteous in you. I want to have the righteousness that comes from being in you, not in my own pride and arrogance and haughty spirit. I love you, Lord, and I praise you and thank you. I pray your Holy Spirit would do a work on people's hearts right now and continue to bring them to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.